0: Well, back in January this year, 2014 came, and I started a series in 1 Corinthians. You say, well, why are we preaching through 1 Corinthians? Well, we've said that the American church, and maybe even our church, the Gateway Church, our local expression, uh, in many ways, we struggle in the same areas that the Corinthian church and the Corinthian leaders did. As we look at the book of Corinthians... It's amazing how God has allowed Paul to address some issues of disunity in the church, and we've talked about that. We had discussed the idea of wisdom, man's wisdom versus God's wisdom, and in that culture, uh, man's wisdom was valued very high, but godly wisdom is really what we need. We've talked about marriage and sexuality. We had talked about the theology of the, of the body. Um, the, the Word of God has never been more practical to us this year. Would you agree? It's been incredible to walk through. And week in and week out, we've been challenged and stretched, and we've talked about some difficult topics. And we do this for the glory of God. We honor God's Word, and we say, God, let your Word just wash over us to help us to grow, because we believe in the power of God's Word. Well, on June 8th, about two months ago, we transitioned in the text where from one through 11.1, which we're going to get there finally, Paul is writing to the people that he loved, and he's answering some questions that the leaders had given them. Now, the, they're dealing with an abuse of liberty, and we've talked about this for a week after week. But specifically, they were dealing with food sacrifice to idols in the idol temple participation, can you go to the idol temple and be a part of festivals and feasts that are to other gods? And you say, well, we don't deal with that today. And what happens a lot of times in Scripture, and in particular with this section of Scripture, we, if you're reading through 1 Corinthians, you blaze over it and uh, may not understand the, the context. And what we've said is that this particular three or two chapters, chapter 8, 9, and 10, three chapters, and then verse 1 of, verse, of chapter 11, it really provides a framework for us to deal with gray areas in our lives. And many of you have been with us, and I know we've got some guests, so let me just remind you what gray, uh, gray area is. A gray area is where in every year, and in every society, and in every culture, and in every environment, there has to be a decision made that may only be for that time and for that place. So the question has been, how do you decide when something's gray? When the Bible does not specifically say, like, you know, thou shall not steal. That's black and white, okay? We know that we're not supposed to steal. But there are lots of areas that are gray, hundreds, maybe thousands, and it's like, how do we know what to do with those? Well, in chapter 8, we talked about that knowledge is not enough. If you know something is okay? that doesn't necessarily mean that you can do it because we have to consider love. In chapter 9, Paul uses himself as an example, and he forgoes his right, he forgoes his freedom. And why did he do that? To win some, so those that would be saved, and we'll see that at the end of the text today. Later on in chapter 9, he talks about disciplining ourselves and training so we can be effective in ministry. And then in chapter 10, we look at Israel's example, which really was a negative example where they disqualified themselves from being able to enter into the kingdom, or not to the kingdom of God, but into the promised land. And then later in chapter 10, we have spent a couple weeks looking at the idea of idolatry. And how idolatry affects us. And we have to be careful that when we participate in different things in our culture, in our world, when you're participating, you're participating with the people that you're with and with the spirit that's behind that. And we have to be very, very careful. So today we're going to wrap up this subsection. And again, I, like I want to say, is it's been a laboratory for hot topics in our culture. Whatever hot topic is on your mind or maybe in your family that's kind of come up or emerged, um, you can place it into this text and you can run through these verses and gain insight and perspective. And I really encourage you to do that in your own lives. But this whole section, when we're going to get there, and turn with me actually to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, In verse 31, it really hits the ultimate goal of this section and really of the Bible. Let's look what it says in verse 30. I'm sorry, in verse 31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, I want to talk to you briefly about the glory of God before we even read the section in, in its entirety. I believe that we were created in this life, to bring glory to God. The bottom line of the Christian life is that we are to glorify God. That we are here, we exist for one primary reason, and that's to do just that. And I think there are really only two options. Either our lives are glorifying God, or they, we are unglorifying God. And I'm not sure that's even a word, but I'm going to use it this morning. And I don't think you can be neutral on this. All right, so glorifying God would be to bring honor, to bring value to the name of Jesus in our culture. And to unglorify God, if I can use that, means to bring reproach to God. You say, well, as an unbeliever, I could see that happening, someone that's ignoring God or dishonoring God blatantly. But what about believers? Can a believer, someone that has accepted Jesus in their heart, can they unglorify God as well? And I believe that they can. You look at the story of the Old Testament. Israel is a great uh, great story to read about that, that they at times would profane the name of God. They were disobedient to God. They didn't trust God. And the result of that is that God chastened them, punished them. And what's interesting is that it is possible today for any one of us as believers, if you've accepted Christ, to unglorify or to dishonor God today. And we want to be very careful about that. And the point is that in everything we are either glorifying God or bringing reproach to Him. And God's will, just in case you, there was any uh, confusion, is that we are created to glorify Him. And we'll see today that if the world is going to see who God really is, it will be dependent on our faithfulness, church, to give Him glory. And I hope you're tracking with me. I want to give you a negative example. Perhaps you're uh, working. How many have a job? You're working uh, at, at some level, all right? Hopefully most of us, right? Um, if, if you're out of work, that's okay. Or maybe you're a single mom or, or, or a single, or whatever. Um, Stay at home, mom. I'm, I'm thinking like Arianne, you don't work, but uh, you work at home and uh, th- that's good. But listen, uh, when we consider uh, work, if you go to work and you're lazy, um, you're non-productive, you're always taking shortcuts, or you're you know kind of present shoddy work, and you're maybe not loyal to your uh, employer, or you're late all the time, or or maybe you've got situational integrity that depending on the sale um, uh, you may you know fudge some details, be dishonest to just get the sale. And what happens is that if your employer knows that you're a believer, that you're a Christian, but you're not a good employee, what happens? What's the conclusion? That employee, they're, they're looking at your life and they're saying, hmm, they're not all that great. Maybe God is not all that great. And you say, oh, that's a stretch, and I believe that it's not a stretch. I believe that people are watching us, and it's important that we honor God with our lives, and that's one example. Our example matters. And so when we look at this passage today, and we're going to wrap up all these thoughts today, we're going to try to do this, um, I believe that we want to end on, okay, what is my example? How is my life bringing glory to God? And so without further ado, let's turn, you should be there, to first. Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to ask that you stand to honor God's Word. We're going to look at verses 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. And when we look at this, we're going to summarize the topic and you'll kind of catch the gist of that. You'll see four principles with gray areas this morning. And then we're going to answer the question why. In verse 31, the purpose behind why we would limit our liberties, why we need to grow in our understanding of liberty. And then there's a, we're going to end with a pattern for us to follow. And uh, by the way, the last verse, 11-1, uh, is part of my personal mission statement. I'll talk about that at the end of the message. Uh, but let's read this and ask God to honor His Word. Chapter 10, verse 23. It says, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience, for the earth's is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience' sake. The other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience if i take part in a meal with thanks thankfulness why am i denounced because or because of something i thank god for so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do it all for the glory of god do not Cause anyone to stumble, whether Greek or or uh, Jew or the Church of God. Even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many. Why? So that they may be saved. Follow my example, as I follow the example of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the rich, rich word in chapters eight, nine, and ten into chapter 11, verse 1, that has been really meaningful to us over the last couple months as we've dug in and tried to to see your principle in regard to gray areas. And God, I pray that this morning you would just speak very clearly, that every heart would be open, and God, that we would be able to apply this word and that you would help us, Lord, to be a great example for you, bringing glory to your name in everything we say and do. Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. 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 You can be seated. The first thing I want you to see is the principle of edification over gratification edification over gratification. Let's look at verse 23. It says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive." So what is Paul trying to get across? He is saying that everything is permissible, which by the way, or lawful is the term there, permissible or lawful. He's talking about freedom in Christ. And it was a slogan that was very well understood in that day and age. In fact, I believe that Paul would have used that slogan at different times in ministry, that most commentators believe that. And what happens, in fact, even in chapter 6, verse 12, he used the exact same phraseology in talking with sexuality in in our bodies. And what's interesting is that the Corinthians had grabbed on to that idea that everything is permissible, everything is lawful, and they were abusing that principle. They say anything that wasn't crystal clear in Scripture, they're saying, hey, party on. Let's do it. It didn't matter what it was. They, were, they felt the liberty to do that. And so Paul is bringing some clarity in this section. He's saying, well, everything is permissible, but not beneficial. And that word there could be translated profitable. So it's not profitable or it's not constructive. And there's a question that you need to ask when you're facing a gray area, maybe a hot topic in your life, the thing you're about to do or the thing you're about to say or the place you're going to go or the thing you're going to wear. Will it make you stronger? Is it constructive? And will it build me up? Or will the opposite be true? And we can take it to an extreme, which we talked last week, that you become uh, one with, with uh, even demons. Or you ask, will it help my walk with Christ? And the point is, is it may feel good. It may feel right. But the real motive behind it is, will it bring profit? Or will it edify my life? So the question is this. Do I have the right, in regards to freedom, to do something, uh, whatever it might be, and it might be a style choice, or it might be, uh, you know, social drinking, or it could be going to the movies, or some sort of entertainment, or music, or dancing, or sports, or uh, exercise, or uh, it could be a, a list a mile long of different things. You say, okay, do I have the right to do it in this time, and in this place? And the answer may indeed be, yes, I have the freedom to do this. But what Paul's saying is there's an additional question. Will it build me up? And if the answer is yes, yes, I have the right to do it, and it'll build me up, and and we'll see in just a second, it'll build others up, then you do it, and you enjoy the freedom, the liberty that Christ has provided for you. But you say, well, I've got the freedom to do something, right? I have the freedom to do this or that, Will it build me up? That's questionable. Is it really helping me grow in the Lord? If the answer is no, or even a maybe, then I believe it's our responsibility to limit our freedom in those circumstances. Edification over gratification. You tracking with me? There's another one, another principle. Principle two is that we need to consider others over gratification self let's look at verse 24 it says this it says nobody should seek his own good but the good of others so not only do we need to consider how is it affecting me or how does it affect my own life is it constructive is it profitable for those that are around us family church members the community, your neighbors, your co-workers, people are watching you. And really, this principle, this idea of putting others over yourself is really a principle of love. If what you are going to say or do or uh, where you're going to go or what you're going to wear or you fill in the blank, if it's going to offend someone else, if it's going to cause someone to stumble or to cause someone to fall into sin, then out of love, for the other brother or sister, we should sacrifice our liberty. And really, it's a sign of maturity. Remember a few weeks back, we said, hey, how many of you want to be mature, right? And the hands go up. Well, if that's the case, there are times that we must limit our liberty. And you say, man, that j- I just get the shaft when, I, when that happens, right? Like, you know, I, I'm limiting my liberties. What well, listen, I believe in the long run, No matter what the sacrifice, it will be most beneficial to you when you limit your liberty for the sake of others. It is a spiritual principle. The Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself, right? And that's a that's a principle we see all throughout the scripture and that we see it in Romans 15, 2 and Galatians 5, 14, Philippians 2, 4. Uh, These are important things. You say, well, yeah, that's important. We understand what God's word says, but I'll tell you and I'll be the first to admit it is hard to do that at times. Say, why is it so hard to love your neighbor as yourself? It's because we're so selfish, it's because I'm selfish. And it's my. we say, oh, it's my liberty to do as I please. It's my freedom. And really, though, as we've talked through this passage and this, this entire section, we've realized that our lives are not our own, right? We do not have the right to live however we want. So it's not, can I do it and still be a Christian? But we need to ask the question, Will it help others? And it's the principle of love and action. And again, in Romans 15, Galatians 5, Philippians 2, uh, which we'll get to at the end, there's a principle throughout the New Testament. And this principle should affect everything we do and everything we don't do, putting others over ourself. You tracking with me? There's a third thing, liberty over legalism now this is where it gets interesting and I would say it gets fun let's look at verses 25 26 and 27 Paul's saying he says eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it if some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go eat whatever is put before you without raising question of of conscience now we've talked a lot about the the idol sacrifices and how the meat kind of uh was preserved and how uh, you could purchase meat that had been sacrificed to idols and all of those things but this principle of liberty over legalism in regards to gray areas is really pretty exciting there needs to be a balance here because what happens is we go back to point number two putting others over self, you could put yourself in a situation where somebody, somewhere, will be offended by anything that you do. Does that make sense? That yellow shirt that Tony's wearing, it's offensive, brother. I don't ever want to see that again, right? I mean it could be that silly. Or the way you wear your glasses or the way, you know, the way you said hi, huh. whatever the case, somewhere, somebody could be offended by anything. And all what happens is If you tried to live that way, you'd put yourself in a straitjacket in the Christian sense, and you'd be limited to do almost nothing. So how do you find the balance of liberty over legalism? And I believe that the answer is found in these verses. The answer is this. Don't run around asking everybody what their liberty is. Don't ask them. Say, hey, give me a list of the things that you think is okay. Don't ask. Look what it says in verse 25. It says, when you consider the meat, right? Anything, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. In other words, you're at the butcher market. Don't ask. Say, hey, was this meat sacrificed to idols? He says, don't worry about it. Enjoy your liberty if the meat looks good eat it buy it and eat it and so the idea is you don't ask questions unnecessarily don't ask for a list of these things and then verse 26 refers to psalm 24 verse 1 very interesting where it says the earth is the lord and everything in it if it isn't an issue don't make it an issue this is important One pastor I was listening to this week, he says, say grace and pass the steak, (laughs) right? He says, the meat is okay, all right? And there's no sense in putting burdens on your conscience. Don't ask needless questions. The point is, enjoy your liberty. And in verse 27, it gives another example. If an, a believer invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever's put before you without raising questions of conscience. The idea here is that some, you're at somebody's house. Maybe you're at a party, and, uh, and, they, you know, and, and not at an idol temple. We addressed that last week. But you're there, and you're, you need to enjoy the liberty. I believe the point is that there's a place for Christian liberty praise God there is freedom as believers and by the way this is important spirituality cannot be reduced to a list of do's and don'ts okay that's why you don't go around saying hey what are your do's and don'ts so what are, you know this one? see because what happens legalists they like do's and don'ts because it's easy it's all black and white and that's not really the way God wants us to live John Lindell says this. He says, Spirituality is about your life and vitality of your relationship with the Lord, not do's and don'ts. It's not a list of rules that we need to follow. It's a heart condition. And I love what John MacArthur says. He says, Don't ask, and this is a direct quote, stupid questions that are going to cause your conscience problems. And the principle is here, liberty. Enjoy your freedom over legalism. Avoid legalism at all costs. Let me say that one more time. Avoid legalism at all costs. Because practically, yeah, you say, I, I don't want to offend the weaker brother. But listen, but at the same time, you don't want to, that weaker brother to stay weak, right? Their whole lifetime, because we always condens- condescend to their level. And that leads us to the fourth principle, and that principle is condescension over condemnation. And let's look at verses 28 through 30. This is very, very interesting. Listen what it says. Verse 28, "But you're at that same party, right? But if anyone says to you, "This is a believer at the same party," and they say, "This has been offered to sacrifices," or, or been offered in sacrifice." then do not eat it both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake the other man's conscience i mean not yours for why judge my freedom to be judged by another's conscience if i take part in the meal with thanks- thankfulness why am i denounced because of something i thank god for let me try to bring some clarity we're back at that same meal where you felt liberty to eat the meat and you're excited about it another believer uh, says hey I heard that that meat was, was uh, sacrificed to idols. At that moment, because of what has been shared, that new information, you weren't looking for it. You're saying, man, I didn't want to know this. I just wanted to enjoy the meat, right? What happens is at that moment, you need to limit your liberties. Now, let me try to explain this. You say, well, what about the host? What is the host going to think? Um, you'd say, well, it looks lovely, but I can't eat it because so-and-so reminded me or brought up the fact that that meat was sacrificed to idols now you say well won't that offend the host wouldn't that be rude to do that and there's a principle here church that is amazing that we are to love the other believers so much that we would deny our liberty, we would have an obligation to be supportive of the believer first in that circumstance and offend the unbeliever that's hosting the party. You say, wow, that is really strong. Well, that's what this text is uh, referring to. If it's going to offend somebody, if you're going to offend the unbeliever, you say well, how could you say this? Where you know where's the scripture? Turn with me to John chapter thirteen. This is great, and you've heard, you've heard this uh, before, but let me put it in context. John chapter thirteen, um, Jesus is talking here. He's actually uh, he's predicting Peter's uh, Peter's denial. But in verse thirty four, he says, "A new command I give you." He says, "Love one another." Everyone say that. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. But then verse 35 gives some insight here that our love should pour out for others to see as an example. Look what it says. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. How is that? When you wear a certain tunic a certain way, or wear a suit and a tie, or maybe cool sandals, right? I mean, that's the ticket, right? If you've got Birkenstocks on, you're in, right? Not too many of you here. Sorry about that. No! How, this is how they'll know you are my disciple. And by the way, if you weren't here, I talked about my sandals, that's why, but anyway. Uh, if you love one another, by your love, you'll be known. That we are called to think of the family of God first. And the unbeliever, what will happen is they will see our love for the other believer, and that love will be so powerful, it will make an impression, it will potentially win over the unbeliever. Now, I want to pause just for a second. You say, shouldn't the baby Christian or the weaker Christian learn to grow up, right? And I would say yes, but that is not the place to do it. When you're at a meal and there's unbelievers, there's believers, that's not the place to have the discussion, can we eat meat offered to idols? In those moments, you limit your liberty. You don't do it publicly. Then later, I would think it's completely appropriate to go take that person aside and say, hey, this is what I know or this is what I believe and help them to see how their liberties could be increased as well. And by the way, this whole context, um, and you know this, but I just want to acknowledge it, that just because when we talk about the weaker Christian or the weaker brother or sister in Christ, that does not mean that they are, they've served God less time. There could be believers that have served God all their lives and are, would be considered the weaker brother or sister. And there are, there are believers that may have only loved God and have served God for a short amount of time that would be considered the stronger in the case. And, uh, and it's very, very interesting in that. Now, the principle is condescension over condemnation. The idea is that we don't do something that is going to make your Christian brother condemn you. So in that circumstance, you limit your liberty. Verse 29, when we read that, we understand that our freedom should not offend others, especially other believers. In verse 30, how could you say grace and ask God to bless something, knowing that if you were to partake in it right after the blessing, that it would offend someone? Paul's saying, look, don't do that. Limit your liberty. Condescension over condemnation. And then we come to verse 31, which again I believe is one of the probably one of the most important verses in the Bible. It says, "So whatever you eat, wherever you drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God." That's the purpose behind all of what Paul has been saying from chapter 8 verse 1 all the way to this point. Would God be honored with what you're maybe wearing or what you're doing or where you're going or what you've said. In everything, Paul is saying, you need to consider is this bringing glory? to God. And I believe, like I said, verse 31 may be one of the most significant statements in all the Bible. The bottom line, when it comes to gray areas, how do you decide? You can ask the question, is what I'm about to do, is about what I'm about to say, does it glorify God? Does it bring glory to Him? And then verse 32 and verse 33, very interesting. He says, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew, Greek, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am seeking my own good. I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many. Why? So that uh, so that many would be saved. You say, man, when I read that, I look at Paul, and some people believe this, that Paul was just a people pleaser. Yeah. That he was a brown noser of sort. And I would just say, yup, he was. Why would Paul... In one circumstance, eat meat and not in another. Or why in one context did he deny getting paid? In another context, he actually required it later in his ministry. Why? For the sake of others. In those circumstances, in those gray areas, he had to bring some insight into those things. The question is, is will my actions lead people to Christ? And I want to encourage you. This morning, to consider your ways, consider your life, and are your actions leading people to Christ? And then it caps off the whole idea in chapter 11, verse 1. Follow my example, Paul says, as I follow the example of Christ. Can you say to your neighbors, or your coworkers, or to your family members, hey, follow me as I'm following Christ To the best of my ability. It's not a declaration that I've got it all together, but hey, follow me as I'm following Christ. I may not get it perfect all the time, but my pursuit is to follow Christ. Now, listen what that is. You say, well, what's Christ's example? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. This is really awesome uh, a tie in here. Uh, a friend of mine made this connection for me. He said, hey, don't forget Philippians chapter 2. Look what it says. And start. we'll just read through the first 11 verses here real quickly. It says, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, Being one in the spirit and in purpose. The unity piece is very, very important. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition, which we just talked about, putting others over self, or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should not look only at his own interests, but also on the interests of others. And then here comes the kicker. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, look, follow my example as I'm following Christ. So what is Christ's example? What's his attitude? This is what it is. Verse 6, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. So we see a servant's heart. We see humility being teachable and he became obedient to even to death on the cross. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him and to the highest place and gave him the name that was above all names, that the name of Jesus every knee would bow, every tongue would confess, right, in heaven and on earth, and on, that every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord and this little phrase at the end, to the glory of God, the Father. Jesus lived and breathed as a human being to bring God glory. He is our example. And Paul was saying, look, follow my example as I follow Christ. And part of my mission, personal mission statement that I created uh, several years back was included this verse, uh, uh here in uh, First Corinthians 11.1, One, follow my example as I follow Christ. That I wanted to model a passionate, obedient life after God. And it was important to me in saying, look, follow my example. And I want you to put yourself in, in in your own shoes and say, okay, how is my example? My example is vital. At no time should my example offend, whether it's Greek or Jew or the church at at large. At no time should my example cause someone to sin or cause them to stumble. Instead, my example, your example, should be to build each other up. You say, well, why would that be? It's all for the glory of God. And as I've been praying and asking God to meet us here as we wrap up these thoughts, I've been asking the Holy Spirit all week long, really for the last couple weeks, to reveal areas of our lives that are not pleasing to Him. Or areas, maybe in our freedom, that we, as we consider it, we should limit those areas. Or, if you're a weaker believer, to give you some insight to say, you know what, there's more to this than just being black and white. And to grow in knowledge. I believe that the Holy Spirit has the ability to speak to each and every one of us in areas that are really important to each and every one of us. And I want to give that opportunity to the Lord. And if you're struggling still with idolatry or sin or issues in your life, listen, we need to confess those things. We need to ask the Lord to help us. And I believe the goal for this whole passage is that the weaker believer would grow in knowledge, and like Thistleton said, a commentator, to release the oversensitive, weak Christian, but also for those that have been experiencing Christian liberty, maybe to an extreme, or abusing it, that the f- their freedom would be limited in certain circumstances. And you say, well, why would we do this? Why would we try to work together, cr- try to come to some common ground? We do it because we love one another. And we don't want our example to cause anybody to stumble. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes today. Why would we do this? It's all for the glory of God. Why would we do it? It's to win some. Salvation, peace is incredible, and it's so important. And this morning, as we're here this morning, uh, I want to just challenge us to really dig deep into our hearts and say, God, how does this particular section of scripture apply to the gray areas that I may be facing gray areas and maybe technology and what I can use or what I can't use or what we allow our family to experience maybe in regards to uh, fashion and our clothes and maybe some modesty issues Or maybe it's in an area of our lives um, that there's been uh, something that has come up where where we have a heightened sensitivity. How can we take this passage and use it as a textbook to walk our gray area through and come to some agreement, to try to come to a knowledge of what God's heart is concerning a certain circumstance? And I believe that God wants to do that over and over and over in our lives if we will allow Him to do that. And so this morning as we're here in the quiet, I want us to be able to identify an area or two saying, boy, I could use this in these areas to see God glorified in my life. God, help us, just like you, to be servant-hearted, to be humble, to be teachable, to be obedient. And God, we will give you the praise and all the glory. I'll give you all the glory. Now, with your head bowed and eyes closed this morning, I just want to ask a question. I don't know everyone here. I don't want to assume anything. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to give you that opportunity to allow God to come into your life and to save you. Maybe you've served God at one point in your life, and maybe it's been a long time since you've been committed, and uh, I want to just challenge you this morning that at the moment you cry out to Jesus, He's there to meet you. And we don't have to go back and fix everything in our past this morning, he's quick to forgive. He wants to come alongside you, and he wants to provide his wonderful gift of salvation. And if you're here this morning, and you've never accepted Christ, or maybe you'd like to rededicate your life to the Lord this morning, would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray with you. I've got some resources um, that would be a challenge to you um, that would help you to grow. Just slip up your hand right where you are. I want to give you that opportunity. Anyone at all this morning? With your hand raised, just take a moment here. Okay. All right. I don't see any hands. With your head bowed and continue to be closed, your eyes, I want you to ask a question. Is my life bringing glory to Jesus? Or is my life a reproach to Jesus? that my life would be unglorifying to God. And this morning, if there are areas that are coming to mind, I just want to challenge you in this moment to confess your sin, to make it right with the Lord, to ask for forgiveness, and I believe God will meet you right where you are this morning. I want you to stand. and We'll, we'll all we'll pray and close the service. Let's pray together. Father, We know that you, through your Holy Spirit, can speak to us, can enlighten areas that maybe were blind spots, maybe areas that at one time were not an issue that need to be an issue as we understand Scripture. God, I pray that as we've been tracking through these verses, God, that you would be glorified in our lives. And help us to put ourselves into these scriptures and to flush out your truth for our lives in these gray areas. And God, help us to grow. Help us, Lord, to grow in you, to understand you better, to be humble, to be teachable, to be servant-hearted, just like you were a perfect example. And God, I pray for those that have been uh, exercising their liberty to an extreme. God, that you would just arrest our hearts. God, that you would help us to make choices that would be God-honoring, not only for ourselves, but for those that are around us. God, I pray it in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that you go before us, behind us, and all around us. We pray it. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. 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 We love you this morning. Go in the grace of God. If you need prayer for anything, we'll stick around and anoint you with oil. Otherwise, go in the grace of God.